This is Ken, and I would like to apologize up front for the audio quality on this episode. It was almost 100 degrees outside that night when we recorded, so I had to idle the truck in order to stay cool. Plus, I made the mistake of using a different microphone, and it was far more sensitive to the engine's vibrations coming up through the shelf that the boom arm is mounted to. While I was able to remove about 95% of the background noise from the parts where I wasn't speaking, you will probably hear a low resonating tone underneath my voice on the parts where I do speak. And for that, again, I do apologize. Anyway, I do believe the content is worthwhile and I think you'll enjoy it. So let's move forward with episode six. Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. How many tackles can one man break? Touchdown. Cross to the middle. Juggle. Snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is. Get that way. The kick is. Welcome back, Husker fans, to another episode of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcasts, where we do our best to stay sweet, but at times, we can be a little salty. My name is Ken, I'm your host, and I like to put salt on my watermelon. And my name is Scott, and I don't like any sweetness in my soda. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I because I drink Lacroix. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've, I drink bubbly. I've got the cherry lime stuff going right now, so I'm with you. Hey, this is uh, episode six. Actually, to be completely truthful, folks, this is the second time we've tried to record episode six because the first time we tried was nothing short of a cluster. F- and here's why. Lips. It didn't have anything to do with bourbon, in case you were wondering. Instead, it had to do with a glitchy internet connection. On my end, because I've been using a hotspot on my phone for most of these, and that didn't work real well in the middle of Idaho that night. And, well, to be honest with you, both Scott and I didn't have the best days at work, so we didn't bring our A-games to the microphone, and the resulting audio was impossible to edit with all the times that the internet cut us off from one another. So we decided to Press the reset button, and that's what you're listening to now. We're going to talk about the same things we did that night, namely the new athletic director at Nebraska, as well as a new topic, which everybody's been talking about, and that would be OU and Texas going to the SEC. And then we have another top five list for you, which will be our five favorite players that we have watched play football for NU, five on offense and five on defense. And then finally... We will finish up this fiasco with our fun fact segment, which will feature our favorite football films. Yes, say that five times in a row fast, folks, and let me know if you don't come up with a cluster of your own. Anyway, that's what you have in store for the next hour. So kick back, relax, crack open something cold, maybe eat a little kettle corn and listen as Scott and I do our best to uncluster ourselves. So, y'all know what we're going to talk about. Um, Scott, before we talk about all that fun stuff, 
What's gone on with you over the last couple of weeks since we talked? Well, let's see. Uh, back on the 18th, uh, my wife and I celebrated our one-year anniversary. So, yay us. Um, we Yes, we celebrated it by going to Kansas City. Um, we went to Worlds of Fun and got a nice fancy hotel and had a couple-day weekend out there, ate some good food, um, just kind of walked around and saw the goods, saw the good sights and all the sights and the sounds and the things and the stuff. Um, walked into a really cool Catholic church right after they had Mass, and that was kind of neat. Cool. Um, and, oh, before we did that, though, uh, I forgot. We jumped out of an airplane and uh, went skydiving. So that was also pretty cool. And we did that literally the day before we went to Worlds of Fun. So it was an adrenaline-packed weekend. And Very it was cool. super fun. Uh, and, yeah, just lately I've I've been – Still, slowly but surely, getting this room put together, my office, getting my office space to my liking. Uh, I still have a lot more to go, but it's also because I maybe do like five, ten minutes of work every day, and then I'm done because <laughs> I play video games and uh, I have other responsibilities I have to do. So, uh, you know, it's it's coming together. Um, that's that's. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, well, actually, I am starting the process of uh, restoring. Well, not really. I'm working on a motorcycle right now, but I'm having to go through a bunch of legal loopholes to make the motorcycle mine. Um, I will spare the details, but I acquired a motorcycle for free. Um, but it's it came with a uh, cost of headache and legal paperwork and all that stuff. So... I'm trying to work all that out, getting some parts ordered, see if the thing even runs, and that's kind of uh, the other thing I'm trying to get sorted out. But yeah, it's, it's honestly pretty exciting if I get the thing up and running and uh, taxes don't screw me over too much and it's just simple work, I'll be a happy camper. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on with me. What's been going on with you, Dad? Well, I'm not using a hotspot on my phone anymore to do these podcasts. That's a good thing because uh, <laughs> that was a real bane of our existence for a while there. Um, but I've got this jetpack from my mobile carrier that's worked phenomenally well so far. Uh, and let's see, what else? Let's see. Oh, you know how you know you when you're getting old? It's uh, when you were young, you could remove part of a filling out of your teeth because you're eating gummy bears. But when you're getting old, you can remove an entire crown when you're eating a gummy probiotic. So Nice. Yeah. But I finished the probiotic. <laughs> I just extracted the tooth from it and kept eating the probiotic because that's <laughs> important these days at my age. <laughs> so, it, was a little bit, it was a little bit crunchier than yeah, normal, Yeah, I guess. way more crunchier than it should have been. So... Part of living out here on the road that's really cool is the fact that I get to keep up to date on everything going on in college football because I listen to nothing but college football podcasts and things like that. And um, I know it's old news, but I thought it wouldn't be a bad idea to sit and talk for just a few minutes about the new athletic director at Nebraska. Um, he certainly doesn't come without controversy. Um especially knowing what happened at UNO while he was the athletic director there. Granted, it was within the first couple of years of his tenure. He was fresh off of being a 
broadcaster at ESPN, for goodness sake, and didn't have any experience as an athletic director. And he's brought into UNO to try to usher that program into Division One from Division Two. And uh, when you ax the two sports that were probably most successful at the time, the football and the wrestling program, you're not going to be a very popular person in the 402 area code. So I know you've talked to a few people that you know that kind of are associated with that over the last few weeks or so. So why don't you throw some perspective at me as to what some folks you know have been saying. Yeah, yeah. So with Trev Alberts, our new athletic director, uh, I'm honestly stoked. Personally, uh, just listening to the guy speak, uh, his track record, just the way that he formulates his philosophy, he just sounds like a, a good guy. Sounds like he is competent and willing to lead, uh, maybe in a better way than what we previously discussed. Um, Bill Moose, you know, Bill Moose, his, his, what would you say? The framework that he worked. Yeah. The way that he worked was kind of in the background. He gave, he gave people a lot of, a lot of room to move and, uh, long leash. Uh, but that also had, some negative connotations with it um, that I'm sure we've all heard and whatnot. So I won't get into that. But with Trev Alberts, it seems like he he holds to that exact same philosophy, but with a little bit tighter of a leash. Um, right. He's willing to let his coaches do what they need to do to be successful, while constantly, I, I would say he's he's going to probably be more in their business when necessary. Um, whatever you could deem necessary. So that's what I'm excited about. He, like I said, I just, I just like listening to the guy talk. He seems very, he seems very personable and very, uh, optimistic about our athletic, uh, department at, at UNL. And I'm really excited about that. But yes, there is some controversy, uh, that I've heard within my circles. Um, a few people have, stated that they just don't like the guy specifically for the way he handled not necessarily the football program. Most of them have stated that they are not too butthurt about that. They understand the going from division one to division or from division two to division one and the football program probably wasn't going to hang. And with the conference that they were going to, they didn't even have a football program availability in that conference. Right. So they understood that. But as far as they were concerned, the wrestling program was self-funded, self-procured um, by all of the, uh, I would say, what would it be, faculty and families. And it was all self-funded according to uh, these sources and that there was no actual reason to get rid of the program. And I, I, I don't really know what to say to that. I've tried looking up facts and looking up, uh, objective, uh, sources to verify those kind of, uh, narratives, but I can't really find anything other than just spoken word from people who had firsthand experience with the, with the circumstances. Right. Um, that does that does make me as an honest person. I'm I'm going to take that with a grain of salt and and you know consider that and not be you know full 
body in, ready to go with this guy. You know, maybe there is something underlying in the background that we need to be concerned about. But until I see something happen that makes me concerned about him, it was 10 plus years ago when all of this went down. Uh, People change. And like we've discussed, um, it wasn't his sole autonomous decision to do it. It wasn't like Trev Alberts was sitting in his in his fancy office, you know, rubbing his hands together thinking, "Haha, I'm going to get rid of two sports." Muhahaha. Um it was definitely some some background uh folks working in positions of power that made the decision and it was just like you said, he was just kind of the front man that took the brunt of the blow. So, right. you know, all that, all that considered, I'm, I'm excited with just a little, with a little hint of hesitancy and uh, awareness that there might be some negative connotations. But honestly, I am like 99% happy about it. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. Um, I've gotten a little bit of perspective on what happened at UNO just from. A couple other podcasts I've listened to with with folks that were somewhat close to it, Uh, namely the uh, Husker Doc Talk podcast, I think it is, with uh, Rob Zadisko, used to be a pipeline member on the offensive line when we won the national championship in 94. He's an Omaha guy, works in Omaha, uh, was a teammate of Trev's from 91 to 93 or 90, 90 to 93, something like that. He says, as a football player... He said he absolutely loved Trev Alberts. He just, the guy, nobody worked harder on the team. And he said, I believe nobody worked harder than he did when he was at ESPN. And and then when he came to UNO and he said, I have no doubt that he worked hard. He said, the problem was with the way that the wrestling program was done away with. He said, now for Trev to get rid of a football program, he said, had to have been one of the most gut-wrenching decisions he ever had to make or at least be a part of. As we've said, no athletic director makes any decision on a sport staying or going alone. Um, but the wrestling program, he said, for the coach to win a national championship and then find out from a phone call that his program was going away was mishandled at worst or at best, if not completely stupid at worst so uh and a lot of people have have like you said it was the wrestling program it was for the most part self-funded uh but at the same time was that wrestling program going to be capable of being self-funded once it got to the division one level simply because the cost of doing business as a sport in division one is much different than it is in division two so maybe the budget just didn't have any room to make that work so, uh, it's just, it's a sticky mess that happened 10 flipping years ago. And the fact that half of the 402 area code seems to be pissed off about it still seems to be a little bit of water under the bridge that maybe they need to just build another bridge and get over. Uh, <laughs> but I agree. I watching Trev and listening to Trev talk at, first of all, his press conference, and uh, some of the things he the ways he answered some questions at the at the Big Ten media days when they asked him specifically about, you know, going back to the past and this, that and the other. And he says, look, things that happened 30 years ago, we can't be looking back at 30 years ago. We've got to look at what's going on now. And then, you know, 
few sentences later, he said, but when I played for Coach Osborne, this is how we did things, this, that, the other. And I think in some ways people were like, well, is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? And part of me, Trev understands, I think, if anything, that there's a blueprint that works. And I think that's blue, that blueprint that worked 30 years ago is the same damn blueprint Saban's using down in Tuscaloosa. It's just done with a modern flair of a different, a new offense, a different defensive style, all those kinds of things that aren't happening like happened back in the 90s. But there's a blueprint. There's a way to get there. And I think Trev understands that. I also think one of the things he said was he would hold Coach Frost accountable, and Coach Frost was going to hold him accountable uh, because they've known each other for a long time. So I think it's a good marriage. I think it's going to work. I think... Um, if Frost doesn't get to a bowl game this year, next year might get a little bit awkward. That's I don't know if the seat's going to get hot yet, but uh, it's going to get awkward. So, anyway, I think unless you've got anything more to say about it, I think we can move nope, on to I... the uh, the elephant in the room, the big burnt orange and shitty red elephant. Yeah, nope. Uh, the the I completely <laughs> agree with everything you said, and you actually made a point that. Uh, I forgot to make in my little rambling was that, yeah, just, yep, you know what, we'll just leave it. We'll leave it at that. Let's move on. Yes, with, uh, let's just say that last, the last time we uh, had a podcast that actually got released, um, (laughs) we had a... Yeah, yeah. Well, we both kind of sucked, so it's all good. Um, (laughs) uh, We last spoke about reorganizing and uh, uh, reframing an entire uh, conference realignment. Jeez, I could not words there. Um, An entire conference realignment. Across the entire United States, that's across the NCAA. That's what we were all fantasizing about, um, or that's what you and I were fantasizing about in our previous podcast. And lo and behold, there's rumors right after Big Ten Media Days, or right during, it's like during the SEC, right in the middle, which obviously it came out that it was Texas A&M who leaked it. Exactly. um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, OU and Texas have officially made their request to join the SEC as of today, according to ESPN. And that's just insane. That's just absolutely – it's it's earth-shattering. It completely breaks everything. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it, it completely shatters everything. Um, there's just – well, I mean, from the, from the beginning – the Big 12 isn't going to exist anymore. There's just, once OU and Texas are gone, there is no Big 12. There is no, yes, there are some decent teams within the Big 12. Some are getting better. Some are just as worse as they've always been. Um, But there's just no face. There's no face of the Big 12 after OU and or Texas leaves. And so what we were talking about was reducing the conferences and well i'd say consolidating them consolidating them into uh bigger 16 team conferences might right. actually come to fruition and yeah that's just 
and that's just so honestly i love it i think it's awesome um but what are your thoughts about it you know what part of me there's part of me that's extremely happy simply because i know that with texas going into the OU is going to probably be fine. Give them about two and a half, three years to adjust. OU is probably going to be fine. But Texas, I know they get most of the Texas players, but I don't think they've had a guy running the program that knows how to win in the Big 12, much less how the f*** to win in the SEC. Because those are some big, bad, mean, fast kids that are going to just love beating up on the new kid in the block. So part of me is like, great. Can't wait for you guys to go to the SEC and just watch Texas get curb stomped by the likes of Mississippi State and Ole Miss and not even the good teams, but the shitty ones. That's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> but, but the other part of me says, good night. Oh, you, what are you doing hitching your wagon to Texas again? This hasn't worked out well for you yet. I mean, other than they've gone to more playoffs than – the Pac-12 or anybody else as far as OU is concerned, but I don't know. Maybe OU's thinking if we go to the SEC, we're going to have more access to SEC-type recruits that we can go after, and maybe we can end up playing on their level eventually, but I just don't see how this benefits anybody except the SEC because of the eyeballs on TV and the money that the oil barons in Texas are going to just start throwing into the conference. That's really the only benefits I can see because the Big 12 is going to get bent over and, you know, prison raped, <laughs> for lack of a better term, by because I don't see the Big 12 surviving. Maybe it does. Maybe somehow they assimilate. Maybe they get Colorado to come back or some goofy shit like that, but I just don't, I don't see We're it. We're not coming I, back. No, screw that. Nebraska's not coming back, and that's that's one of the main. If you were to look back at the Big Eight, if you don't get Nebraska back, and OU's not there, Mm -hmm. it's it's not even reminiscent of of anything that the Big Eight or the Big Twelve used to be revolved around. Which Texas, of course, had a huge a huge play in in Big Twelve when it formulated into the Big Twelve, but. OU, I agree. Like, I think that they're going to compete pretty well in the SEC pretty quickly. Um, But Texas is just going to get slapped around. And I'm looking to the bigger picture of everything. Like, Iowa State. Iowa State, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? I think that everybody is in agreement here but it makes perfect sense for iowa state and kansas to come to the big 10 um namely because the big 10's requirements for academics is well you have to be an academic all-american university um that's what the big Mm -hmm. 10 wants in their conference that's what they have confirmed that they that they would be looking for in a team and the only two teams in the big 12 that qualify for that is is iowa state and kansas Um, and like you said earlier when we were discussing this um, before the podcast, of course, is that honestly, I think for the Big Ten, we could use we could use a Kansas to build up our rapport within the realm of basketball. Um, yep. Maybe not in any other, maybe not in any other way, but 
um, basketball. Well, they do sure. have the the former Buffalo coach as their football coach, and that guy seems to be a program builder. So yeah, who knows? Lance Maybe he's the next. He might be the next Mark Mangino, though he weighs about two hundred and fifty pounds less, and probably has a better even temperament. Um, he's not going to beat the shit out of his players. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Not. Yeah. So looking at that and then you start looking at, uh, well, this really, I mean, it builds up the, it builds up the, uh, what would it be? It builds up the, the market value of, of Notre Dame even more for conferences wanting them to like, come here, come here. Um, I don't right. know. I don't know what this does to, uh, you know, is the ACC, going to expand or do do they disband you know just like the big 12 by having a bunch of other teams scatter in other directions that are going to make them more money um if like let's say uh clemson or north carolina starts to dip their toes into possibly also joining the sec that could really throw a wrench into the system or well florida state um what are they going to do? You know, I just, there's so much up in the air right now and then can't even, can't even begin to figure out what's, what's going to happen to the PAC 12. Um, who's going to go there out of the big, well, they're the only of, damn conference. that's not getting poached right now. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> they're good I to don't, go. I, I know that Schmitty on uh hail varsity talks uh, very positively about, um, having us expand in the Big Ten over to the West Coast and getting some Pac-12 teams to come over here, and I don't want that at all. No, no, um, no. I Pacific don't want time any. zone games suck. Yes, and I don't want West Coast like, and and I don't mean this literally politics. I mean like bureaucratic, like football right. politics. I don't want the West Coast uh, like. I feel like the Big Ten is already a bunch of snobs to begin with. Um, last thing we need is a bunch of like even more you entitled think? sun sunburnt snobs getting yeah. involved with our with our football politics. Um, so I just it's it's going to be I, I I think in like two or three years it's going to be an entirely different NCAA. It's going to be a mass res, massive reformation of. I doubt there's going to be an NCAA in two or three years. Yes, Maybe they'll be associated about... <laughs> with basketball, but I think football is going to tell them to go f*** themselves, quite frankly. I hope so, because I think that, honestly, COVID really put a uh, a finger on the pulse of how poorly the NCAA handles very, very controversial things. Sure, um, exactly. And... Not to say that COVID in and of itself was controversial, but they did some things around it that were controversial, and specifically yes. the Big Ten. The Big Ten did incredibly just uninformed and uh, very, very um, less than desirable decisions. And I understand it wasn't it wasn't just the Big Ten commissioner; it was all the presidents of the universities that really pressured him to do something mm-hmm. that was quote-unquote politically correct um the bow tie brigade they have always considered yes. themselves the ivy league of the power five yeah so whatever all of that you know that's all 
that can ruffle some feathers what we're discussing now but um it's just i look forward to the chaos honestly i want to see honestly i want the big 12 to just be done because they've already been honestly they're the joke of the power five conferences aside from ou being prominent and iowa state starting to shed some some hints of of progression and other than that there's been nothing of interest to watch in the right in the in the big 12 i mean oklahoma state has had some you know some some good seasons but it always sputters out and turns into a giant fly fart and it's basically irrelevant and so they've and then texas of course you know since vince young they haven't been they haven't done anything the last time they were close to touching a championship it was ripped away by the arms of indomitian sue um (laughs) colt colt mccoy was just so rattled but anyway um yeah man i don't and then he saw a whole freaking team full of indomitian sues called alabama in his next game and he decided yeah my shoulder hurts i don't want to play now (laughs) yep so yeah ou and texas completely oh man they just rocked they've rocked the entire uh college football landscape and um i'm i it's crazy i don't realize Mm -hmm what kind of thread an entire system is holding on by until one or two threads snap and it all comes tumbling down. I mean, it's not down. It's not like everything's going to go to It's that everything is going to have to reorganize itself and and reposition itself in a, in a, in a more uh, robust. It's going to roll down a different hill. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But, yeah, I don't know what the fate of OU in Texas is in the SEC. I look forward to watching Texas go like three and nine and four and eight every single season for the next five mm-hmm. years. Um, and OU, you know, eight and four, nine and three. I think it's going to be essentially that, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I will be curious to see what kind of schedule they give both of those guys when they come into the conference for their first year. Are they going to run them through the damn gauntlet in the SEC like Nebraska's been put through? Um, are they going to make them play? Are they going to make Texas play Alabama six years in a row, just like the Big Ten has made Nebraska play Ohio State? Will they do that? I doubt yeah. it. But yeah, I don't think they're going to be playing some very many Mississippi states or Tennessees or uh, South Carolina. Not right away. I think they're going to get the best schedule possible right out of the gate. Yeah. Gonna, Welcome to the Auburn. conference. Yeah. Here's here's Alabama, Auburn, Florida, and uh, here's some Georgia too. While we're at it. Yeah. Um, jeez, yeah. Louise, man, it's going to be, be it's going to be awesome to watch. I, I I'm honestly, I want I want to pop out my I want to get out my kettle corn and just watch it all because I am just like, <laughs> and honestly, I'm really excited because I know inevitably we're we as the Big Ten we're going to pick up a few teams. Um, and, probably, and probably. I, I think I, I'm if feeling Kevin really. Kevin Warren confident. has any brains at all. If Kevin Warren has any brains at all, he's going to tell the presidents and the chancellors to sit back, sit down, let me go do what I got to go do, and then he's going to come 
Barry Alvarez and goes, okay, go do it. Because <laughs> Kevin doesn't know what he's doing. You just, no. all you got to do is listen to what he said at Big Ten Media Days and you go, this isn't a leader. This is a politician. We don't yes. need a politician in the Big Ten. We need a leader. And Barry Alvarez, like him or hate him, you know, as Nebraska fans, I'm not a huge fan of him because he recommended both Sean Eichhorst and Bill Callahan to come to Nebraska. But he's he's part of Wisconsin. Why in the blazes would he want to recommend something that's going to hurt his program, right? Why don't we get to going on our top five list of our favorite five players over the last well the years that we've been watching husker football because that's what this is about we're not going over we're not going to give you the top five all-time list folks we're giving you the top five that we got to see either in person or on tv so i need to plug my computer in because it's about to die so why don't you kick it off with your top five defensive players Yes, sir. So as my dad uh, said, we're going to start with defensive because why not? You know, let's get let's get, you know, defensive defenses win or what is it? The best offense is a good defense. So let's just start off with a good good defensive summary of top five players and how this is going to go down is I'm going to read all of my top five and just briefly briefly summarize why they are in my top five. And then my dad will follow, and we will continue on following that suit. So within my top five defenses, at number five, I put safety Nate Gary. As a millennial, I'm 27 years old now, uh, Nate Gary was a name that I swear I heard every single game, at least five times a game, <laughs> um, in some sort of like crazy, motivating, momentum-changing way. Um, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's what it felt like. Uh, a few things that I have written about him, 273 tackles and had at least four interceptions in each of his last three seasons uh, that's quite a bit of tackles and one of the most uh, it's it's not really a great memory like in the grand scheme of things but what I do remember the most about Nate Gary was when we played Wisconsin <laughs> uh, with Melvin Gordon the Melvin Gordon 400 yard performance um Seriously, he was the only one who was tackling Melvin Gordon the entire game. If you go on YouTube and you find the highlight reel for Melvin Gordon's 400-yard performance, you will find almost every single play, Nate Gary is the only one bringing him down because he just found himself in the right part of the field, and he was honestly one of the only guys quick enough to catch up with him or get the angle on him. Um, but <laughs> the comment section is hilarious. Uh, if you, if you just want to laugh at a great YouTube comment section, go to the Nate Gary, uh, versus Melvin Gordon, um, highlight reel of Melvin Gordon's 400 yard performance. Um, at number four, I have defensive end, Randy Gregory, just an absolute beast. He was an incredible beast. Um, he had a total of 16 and a half sacks in the two seasons that he was here 
And once again, I just felt like I heard his name called every single game five times a game. It was he was a he was a game changer. Um, at number three, I have cornerback Alfonso Denard. Um, once again, I heard that dude's name. It was weird. I heard his name all the time, and it was never because the ball was being tossed his way. It was always because he was at the right place at the right time. Um, and when they did throw the ball his way, he was incredibly athletic and figured out how to knock the ball down, get an interception, um, make a play. Even if the guy that, that, um, he was defending made the catch, he was just one. And he was an incredible cornerback for me to witness. And I remember yelling his name quite a bit growing up. Um, well, I guess it wasn't too long ago that he was around, but I was still growing up, I guess. So we'll consider that <laughs> a fact. But um, at number two, I put linebacker Levante David, Super Bowl champ, freaking most underrated player in all of NFL. But um, yeah, in in his only two years of being at Nebraska, he started 27 games, um, had 285 total tackles, um 28 tackles for loss um 11 and a half sacks two interceptions 12 pass deflections three forced fumbles and two fumble recoveries i know that's a lot of numbers i know that's a lot just condensed down into there but that is an insane stat line for just two years in in college football uh yes and my memorable moment was uh his which I think we discussed previously in a different episode, but his forced fumble um, from Braxton Miller in the third quarter of the Ohio State game to shift the momentum that ultimately led to a comeback against Ohio State, um, which is our only time beating them since we've been in the Big Big Ten. So thank you for that, mm-hmm. Levante. And then, of course, number one, uh, it's it's undeniable that I I think I can speak on behalf of all Husker Nation that Indomitian Sue is the GOAT. Yep. He is just one of the most phenomenal football players that I ever had the, the honor of witnessing. And I really don't have to say anything about it. He is just incredible. And anybody that's listening to this, it's probably a Husker fan, I would presume. Maybe a salty Iowa fan, but most likely a Husker Husker fan. Y'all know. <laughs> Sue, yep. the man. Yep. So, um, and then I just put in my honorable mentions, just real quick, honorable mentions were Prince Amukamara. I just, I mean, what a great name for one. Homeboy yeah. made a feature on Key and Peel, for goodness sakes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because it just, it just has a great name. And he was just a dominant uh, player. And then Siante yep. Evans. Those were my two honorable mentions. They were very memorable for me, but uh, just stats and their consistency, I just it was really difficult for me to 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 sift through and figure out which ones. So they're my honorable mentions, and that's my top cool. five defensive players. That'll um, work. and uh, Dad, out of all of those defensive players, uh, <laughs> besides Indomitian Sue, of course. Which one of those kind of stands out to you? Uh, out of yours? 
Um, yeah. For sure. Let me scroll the f*** down again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, Randy Gregory. Um, I just remember when we went to that Miami game, which we talked about in a previous episode, um, just watching him be tackled to the ground almost every damn play and no holding calls, uh, being doubled all the time. But when he wasn't doubled, he was always affecting the play. Uh, so yeah, Randy Gregory definitely stands out. Levante definitely stands out, uh, just cause he was disruptive. Even when he wasn't in the spot, he was supposed to be at the start of the play. He always ended up being where he needed to be. So, uh, Levante and Randy definitely st- stand out for me. My top five list is a little different in the fact that um, four of the top five are guys you never saw other than on YouTube or on a videotape that I might have had in the house. Because I wonder who I, that one guy is. Hmm. Well, the, the, the fifth guy is obvious, um, and he's my number <laughs> one as well. He's, he's the same number one as you. Uh, but can you imagine, just think for a minute, if you saw a football team, a Husker football team that had an Indomitian Sioux, a Randy Gregory on both ends, and uh, uh, Levante David playing behind the line. And that's what you would have seen when you watched the 1995 team play. So starting out my list at number five would be linebacker Terrell Farley. He played in 1995 and 96, uh, maybe started a total of 14, 15 games, maybe, in his career. Uh, 105 total tackles, 42 of them by himself, nine tackles for loss, five sacks for 40 yards. And I remember watching him sack dudes, and when he got next to him, he'd, like, ride them down to the ground like a, <laughs> like a bulldog. <laughs> he'd just grab them by the shoulder pads throw his hips to the side, and then drop him down to the ground like he was a wrestler. Unbelievable. Uh, the guy was incredible, just a play waiting to happen. He's had, what did he have, three interceptions. Two of them were returned for touchdowns for a total of 92 yards in returns. He broke up seven passes, and he hurried the quarterbacks in his career 24 times. My number four would be defensive tackle Jason Peter. Of all the people besides Indomitian Sioux, if there was a disruptive bastard coming through the line from that middle of the line, it was defense. It was Jason Peter. Um, he had 24 quarterback hurries, 11 sacks for 68 yards. He forced a fumble. He's returned a fumble for a touchdown. He caused three interceptions. The guy was just everywhere. Uh, my number three player would be our current athletic director, Trev Alberts. He still holds the school record for a total of 29 and a half sacks over his career. He forced five fumbles. He had five fumble recoveries, 69 quarterback hurries over his career. <laughs> and he played in the Orange Bowl in 94 after the 93 season with a dislocated elbow. I thought it was a broken hand or a broken wrist the last time we kind of talked. Turns out it was a dislocated elbow he suffered in the Oklahoma game, and he put a giant cast on his arm and he still ended up with six tackles including three sacks on charlie ward for 29 yards lost and ward had just won the 1993 heisman trophy a few weeks before that game and go figure sophomore tommy frazier 
had better stats in that game than Ward did. So that that's just proof of how good that <laughs> Nebraska defense was in 1993. My number two guy is uh, defensive end Grant Wistrom, who played from 1994 to 1997. He did not redshirt. He played as a redshirt as a true freshman in '94. Didn't play a lot, but he was on special teams a lot. He'd come in and spell the starter at defensive end a few times every game. Uh, but when he was done, he had a total of 206 tackles, 93 of them by himself. He had 58 and a half tackles for a loss for 260 yards lost. He came close to Trev Alberts. He had 26 and a half sacks for 178 yards, caused four fumbles, blocked two kicks. <laughs> he broke up three passes, and I believe one of them was caught by a defensive lineman who ran it in for a touchdown against Kansas State uh, back in 95. He returned an interception for a touchdown. The dude was just 64 quarterback hurries. I mean, the guy was just all over the... He was the epitome of the disruptor. And then, of course, my number one would be uh, Indomitian Sue. Uh, the only reason I didn't put him back at number five is because I'm probably sure I would be killed by just about every Husker fan in existence if I did that. Uh, can you imagine the amazing team that was 1995 if they had had Atomic and Sue on that team? Because that those that front four that year was literally unblockable. They're, they're, they just, they were unreal. That was the most amazing team I've ever seen play. Obviously, Levante David is one of my op, uh, honorable mentions. Uh, cornerback. Ralph Brown, he played from, for Nebraska from 96 to 99. He was the first true freshman to ever start at cornerback for Nebraska. He got picked on a little bit in 1996, but everybody figured out by the end of 96, don't throw to that side of the field, even though he was a true freshman. The kid was just unbelievable. And then cornerback uh, Baron Miles, who played from 1990 to 1994, he was a think of DiCaprio Boodle. Okay, that was Baron Miles, five foot nine, five foot ten, ran like a deer, but he busted up so many passes. I mean, just when we were supposed to get our asses kicked by Florida State in that '94 Orange Bowl, he was a big reason why we didn't. They, he was on their number one wide receiver all night long, and that guy did not catch the ball very often that night. And that's because of Baron Miles. He was our best punt returner and kick returner. But he never, <laughs> that 93 and 94 season, if I remember right, he didn't play either of those positions because he was also our best punt blocker. <laughs> he would block like <laughs> four or five kicks a year. I mean, that guy was just unbelievable how good he was able to get through and and block kicks. So, yep, those are my honorables. And uh, you go ahead with your offensive players. Or... Yeah, so I'm going to roll into, we're, well, I guess we're both going to roll into offensive uh, yep. top fives. And I'll just roll right through it here. So at number five, I put Taylor Martinez, not to be confused with Adrian Martinez, from what I can remember when he was here, um, 
folks, yes, when when it comes to my memory, I am going to suck at it just incredibly. Unless I have it written in front of my face at any given moment, I am just going to go off of a whim of what I can best remember, and that's usually just impression. Um, yeah. So with Taylor Martinez, what I remember is just always being juiced up and excited whenever he played, um, especially before he got injured. I legitimately thought he was on a run to getting a Heisman Trophy. Yep. Um, and I think I think every everybody with a sensible thought in Husker Nation was making that assumption. Um, if he could surround himself with a good offense and we could pick up a good defense and Bo Pelini could run his system continually and he stayed healthy, there was a very high quality chance that he was going to be in the run for a Heisman, if not win one. Um, he, he just, man, if, if he reminded me of anybody, it was Johnny Manziel. Like, yes, that's. That's the closest comparison I can have of any college football player um, that I can think uh, – besides, like, what would it be? Denard Robinson, that uh, that well, quarterback for Michigan? about the same time. Yeah. Yeah. They were yeah, both kind of yeah. a sensation that year, both of them. Yes. Oh, or I no, guess it was the same Taylor year. started was in 2010, same? and then Denard was kind of the big thing in 2011. Yeah. That's what it was? Okay. Because yes, there were honestly, yeah, that twenty ten to twenty like twelve era, or tw- yeah, even rolling into twenty. Because what was what was Johnny Magic? Wasn't he twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen? Wasn't that when he really? I'm gonna Google this. I'm just gonna look this up because this is gonna bother me. <laughs> me too. Um, it was twenty twelve. He won his Heisman in yeah. 2012. So, yeah, I I think, yeah. that's I was thinking that because uh, NCAA football, the yes. um, video game, Johnny Manziel was like the quarterback to play in that 2014 game, which was based on the 2013 season, which would have been, yeah, the season after he won his Heisman, which would make perfect sense. And they thought anyway. he was the Heisman favorite, favorite in 2013. And then he fizzled out yes. for the most part. Yes, pretty much. But So, Taylor Martinez, what I remember the most about that dude was his incredible 76-yard run against Wisconsin in the Big 12 Championship. It is in any highlight reel you can go on YouTube and find of just incredible NCAA or in, incredible college football plays by PCS Highlights or um, Harris Highlights. Yep. Those guys, top highlight um, compilations, he's always in that with that run, even though we were getting gobsmacked by the poor um, Wisconsin team. Well, they weren't poor, but they were definitely Wisconsin. They were still pissed off about losing in Lincoln, and they made sure we paid for it. Yep. Um, But what I also remember was that his throwing mechanics were just very odd looking. It was always short stepped. Step it was almost like he was it was almost like he was like throwing the ball with his with his elbow like glued to his hip in yep. some weird way. Like he kept his elbows tucked in. Yep, but anyway, weird side and he'd step to the side when he'd throw a sidearm. It was weird. Yeah. But, but I mean, he was arm. still considered 
he was still considerably accurate. If you look at his his overall completion percentage at his time here, he was right up there with any quarterback that we would give um, accommodation to. So, but like I said previously, he got injured, and that was just a an incredible shame, it, just a big bummer. But at number four, I put Rex Burkhead. Uh, anybody in the last decade. Well, shoot, yeah, anybody in the last decade would put Rex Burkhead at least in their, like, in their heart of, like, a great Husker player that gave them the warm and fuzzies, if not just for the the situation or the uh, relationship he had with the Hoffman family and being involved with Jack, um, but more so just a f- being our downhill, always fall forward um go to guy third and three we need you to make this play happen he always made it happen um he was just an incredibly dependable guy um he got us yards when we needed them and he honestly always found a way to make it happen god would we kill for somebody half as good as burkhead right now um or at least last year we might have a couple oh yeah Yeah, yes we might but that's for another episode. Um, so next episode. with yes, the next one. So uh, <laughs> yes, um, and when you and I uh, had previously in our our podcast, it uh, you mentioned a highlight with with Rex Burkhead, and when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I remember that. But I needed to find it again yeah. and rewatch it. And <laughs> the juke. when you just that juke move, bro, like it is like so good. Like if you guys want to watch a just an incredible Rex Burkhead highlight, which I'm assuming most of you guys either know this this play or um, you, you vaguely remember it. Just just, you know, reinvigorate your taste buds by just looking up Rex Burkhead highlights against uh, Ohio State and that, um, yeah, the game-tying touchdown against Ohio State. That pretty much sums it up for number four with Rex Burkhead. Um, At number three, I put The Magician, also known as Jordan Westerkamp. The Westerstash. Yes, Westerstash, the mans, the legends. Um dude he was just such a fun player for me to watch uh he's just he was just one of those guys he was just like rex burkett could just make something happen when we needed him to make it happen um or honestly just a casual play that that's about to happen or that's happening i suppose it's how football works it's happening and uh and it's like oh that's an uncatchable ball nope wester camp catches it he behind finds out a way. Yeah, behind the back, specifically. Um, dude, it was incredible. Um, or just, honestly, the inception of him uh, protruding my mind, which was his uh, Hail Mary catch that, I mean, I heard Westerkamp before, but until that game, it was like, yeah. oh, okay, Okay, and then he just continued on doing incredible things, helping Huskers move yep. along. Um, but yes, uh, that's my number three is Jordan Westerkamp. And then number two, I've got Stanley Morgan Jr. Uh, God, what we would give to have Stanley 
again. I mean, we haven't seen a receiver quite like him since that that year that we had him with Frost. Um, it's a dang shame that, honestly, if J.D. Spielman was still around, homeboy should have just stayed here. Yeah. I I get it, but dude, you would have you 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 were perfectly fine within our system. But anyway, Stanley Morgan Jr. He just provided so much for our team. Um, he was incredibly fun to watch. Watching his highlights, I mean, yeah. you go to his highlights on YouTube, and um, the overwhelming narrative is coming from other people. Uh, from other teams from around the country and they just say it blows my mind that this dude was not drafted like why was this dude not drafted which yeah honestly uh, off the top of my head i haven't really heard much of of stanley and the nfl doing very many things so that that's my number two um and then of course my number one uh amir abdullah amir fear amir um he and burkhead were just an incredible blessing while we had them that i mean i heard it said by elijah herbal on or herbal it's herbal hard h yeah. um elijah, elijah herbal. herbal yes it's elijah herbal from hail uh, varsity yes uh he made a comment about it that i I I mean, I'd thought it, but hearing it out loud was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, you don't realize how much the Husker football program has needed those reliable and go-to backs until after the Burkhead and Amir, uh, what would it be? Like, I was going to say dynasty, but that's a really overshot kind of term but the um, burkhead years because we haven't had a a running back tandem or even two running backs tandem there we go the tandem i was just thinking of that tandem to those guys and i think the only thing close that we've seen since then would have been the one the one and done divine divine azigbo um there's one year that he provided an incredible amount for us um so, yeah, it's most memorable part about Amir Abdullah was him single-handedly. God, imagine the calamity, the dis- the disruption of Husker athletics if we <laughs> lost to McNeese State. Like, good God, the memes would have just been unbearable, but... Amir Abdullah single-handedly won us that game with his ridiculous run. Um, look it up, <laughs> go on YouTube, um, and check out run. his Amir Abdullah McNeese State. Reel. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, and then one of the things that I remember about uh, Abdullah was that he could juke anybody out of their cleats. He was just so he was so agile and such a quick back. Um, and he yeah, always fell forward that, too. He did. He when always fell forward. If somebody was going to square him up, he leaned down, and that bastard had to tackle him with his their with his shoulder pads in his chin strap. That that was that was how Amir ran. He was awesome. Yeah, he was just incredible. Um, 
I, I miss the guy, and he's still still doing things in the NFL, so um, good on him. That's my top five, and within my honorable mentions, yeah, you can't be a millennial without remembering this name, Nate Swift. Uh, homeboy yep. was just just a fun fun dude to watch, uh, just a fun guy to watch, and then uh, Roy Hellu Jr. I mean, it was honestly really hard for me to not put Hellu. Uh, in my top five, me too. Uh, it was it was very very difficult. Uh, the only reason why I didn't is because I have no reason. I just didn't. Uh, <laughs> so he's honestly on like more honorable than anything I could. I mean, he's just like tied <laughs> somewhere in there. He's a, a solid tie. I would say probably at number two, um, but. I guess I should have put him in at number three or something. The math doesn't check out there, but whatever. Um, and then uh, I do have two more honorable mentions just really quick. I have to mention a kicker, of course, uh, Alex Henry. Um, we'll just make him a, a an honorary offensive player because he's just a freaking G. And then uh, to just uh, try and not get emotional here, um, it was actually a week ago that Sam Fultz passed away. Um, Five years ago, yeah. And yeah, it's and it's been uh, it's it's still it's it's like anytime I try and think about it, when it's fourth down and we're lining up to punt, it's and. And there's an empty space in the backfield where a punter is supposed to be and is not. Let's roll into your top fives, Pops. My top five, uh, I start at your number one is my number five in the fact that it's Amir Abdullah. Uh, Not because he isn't worthy of being number one, but because he didn't play on a team that ever was in any kind of contention for being number one, Uh, like the other for four guys on my list are but because he was so damn good and (laughs) the teams he played on weren't for the most part uh he just made he made he's second all time for rushing yardage at nebraska considering he didn't have but maybe one or maybe two second team all americans in front of him for an offensive line is pretty damn incredible. He got most of those yards himself. Uh, so that was pretty impressive. Number four is quarterback Eric Crouch, the last Husker player to ever win a Heisman Trophy. My God, you look at his statistics and you compare him to the guy that's number one on my list, they don't even compare. He didn't lead the team to two national championships like the guy on my number one spot did. And that was because Tommy, (laughs) well, we'll get to it. Uh, But Eric was (laughs) unreal. He had this ability. Once he hit the hole, once he figured out where the hole was and he hit it, he would hit it, and then it looked like he'd drop his butt. (laughs) His butt would drop, and he'd hit a second gear, and nobody knew what the hell to do with that. I mean, he'd be into the safety and cornerback level, and, and the linebacker was like, well, sh- he was right there. Where did he go? <laughs> you know, he was just that kind of, kind of, kind of athlete. Um, 
he was a third team all American in 2000. And a year later he won the Heisman. The guy was just unbelievable. Uh, my number three is Amon green. His, his stats are not incredible other than the fact that if you look at his 1996 season, where he spent about half of the season on the bench with a turf toe injury, and he still ended up almost rushing for 4,000 yards over three seasons with almost half of the second season sitting on the bench. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. He was good, but he also had some All-Americans in front of him on the line. Um, my number two is probably the best running back I've ever seen carry the ball at uh, Nebraska. That I love I've watching these seen. highlights. Lawrence Phillips. Say what you want about him off the field because he was a douchebag. He did some douchebag stuff. In fact, the reason Amon Green gained 3,880 3, yards from scrimmage was because Lawrence Phillips f***ed up. Because <laughs> Oman was like fourth on the depth chart going into 1995, and he was the top running back prospect coming out of high school. But Lawrence was so good, so good. And you you got to figure, he would have literally ran away with the Heisman, in my opinion, if oh, he yeah. doesn't screw up in 1995. Because him and Tommy Frazier were both on the Heisman watch list and probably would have both been in New York uh, because they both had such incredible seasons. But I think Lawrence would have easily eclipsed the 2,000-yard mark in 1995 if he didn't screw up like he did. And then once he got back in, he was fat because <laughs> he ate a lot of McDonald's while he was gone. Uh, and then it only took him like two weeks and he got back in shape and he was back to where he should have been earned the starting job in the bowl game, rushed for damn near 200 yards in the bowl game against Florida, the best team that the SEC had to offer, and they couldn't stop anybody that night. And, um, yeah, that's that's Lawrence was my number two. Tommy Frazier is obviously my number one. If not for three blind reps on the football field in the Orange Bowl in 1994, Tommy would have won three cha national championships in a row. Well, I I so. just I remember all of your VHSs, national championship <laughs> VHS, season highlight VHS, etc. You just had all sorts of goodies, and I remember one time very vaguely, but I know it happened that we were sitting, you and I were. It was like a movie night, and yeah. I, we watched the Husker game and um, it, the, the, it was, uh, yeah, we watched, uh, sorry, I was, I was trying to replay it in my mind and I just vaguely spat out of uh, the, the generalities. We watched, we watched the Husker game. We watched the Husker game. It was, uh, it was the, was it, was it Flor was it my was it Miami was it, yes it was Miami it was the one where he breaks you know how many tackles can one man that break was Florida that it was, was Florida okay I yeah. just had a total brain yeah. fart there um, Miami I was like was the one that we came back in the fourth quarter 
Florida was the one that we had control of the game from the second quarter. On. Yes, yep. I couldn't remember who we smacked the crap out of, and it was Florida. How many okay, tackles? yeah, that yes. damn run cost me fifty bucks, by the way. Yes, and I was I remember that because you were sitting there and it was so incredible. I was super hyped. And then I was like, rewind it. And you like re rewound it. And I watched it again. And like, that was once again, one of those like early memories of like the, like the adrenaline rush, <laughs> like excitement of watching Husker football. Um, and then, yes. And then you telling me, oh, hell son, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't tell you this. Don't tell your mom this or something like that. But I, I, I lost a football pool. Yes, I was in a, I was in, and which it was funny because when you said that I was so young, the only thing that I imagined was like, you guys had like a swimming pool and you had like cash yeah. in the pool. And, um, yes, I remember that caricatured, like, just like imagined oh. thing. And I was like, and then I thought pool, like, you know, pool balls, you know, like you're playing pool. And then it was like, no, no, no. It's like a collection of money. And I was like, Oh, I got it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the, uh, I love watching those highlights, which obviously I'm terrible at memorizing which games were, which, but you know, Hey, it's all good. Um, it was, it was, it was a feeling of immense, glee and joy watching Tommy just break through everybody and anybody and then looking at the clock going there's like 10 seconds left in this quarter if he he would have just waited till the next quarter I would have took home 50 bucks because and and here's the kicker here's the kicker my numbers were two and eight if Nebraska had a two in the second number uh, of the column of their score and Florida had an eight, I take home 50 bucks for the end of that quarter, right? So I missed it. It was 42 to 18 as he's breaking that run. <laughs> so he crosses the goal line with like seven seconds left in the quarter. So now it's 49 to 18 after they kick him. Well, it's 62 to 18 with like six minutes to go <laughs> in the fourth quarter. So I'm like, yes. And then we let them run a and kick off back for a touchdown. You're like, no! <laughs> so, yeah, it, it sucked. It sucked. But at the same time, I was like, okay, yeah, we beat them 62-24. to 24, But it literally cost me 100 bucks that night <laughs> if they'd have just waited and the other team would have just said, no, nah, we're not going to run it back. It would have been great. But anyway. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, so my honorable mentions would be our current head coach scott frost uh because i'm always going to be a scott frost apologist folks no ifs ands or buts i'm biased always will be uh just because i think he caught way too much crap when he came back to be the husker quarterback after playing for stanford in the first place and then transferring home i don't think just like trev alberts with what he did at uno I think too many people in this state have never forgiven Scott Frost for going to Stanford in the first place. And I think some of those people may be the same damn people. <laughs> uh, and uh, he led our team to a national championship. You don't win a national championship in 1997 without Scott Frost leading the uh, 
the tying touchdown drive at the end of that Missouri game in 1997. So if he doesn't complete all those damn passes that he did, that nobody thought he could, but he did it, you don't win that national championship that year. And then, of course, Mike Rozier, the guy that won the Heisman, uh, he was the last guy to win the Heisman before Eric Crouch won it in 2001. He was the guy that won the Heisman the year I became a Nebraska fan in 1983. So, and he still holds the school record for the most uh, rushing yards from the line of scrimmage out of any running back that's been at NU. So that's pretty impressive to be the guy that's led it. And he only played here for three years, too, because he, he was a JUCO transfer when he was a sophomore. So that's pretty impressive. And then, of course, I added Roy Hallou Jr., just because over the last 20 years, I've never been a bigger fan of any running back at Nebraska than than Roy. Because uh, he was recruited by Callahan, and he was pretty good. But then Bo Pelini recognized, this guy's pretty damn special. And uh, gave him that starting job uh, in 2009. And uh, 2010, he had that performance against Missouri, which we talked about in a previous episode and uh i just loved his quiet confidence humility he didn't talk a lot he was just a good kid so uh that pretty much covers our top five list it does. we are like way over time but that's okay so let's move on to the fun fact segment which i'm gonna say right now I screwed up the first time that we we did this, and I'm glad that the first time we tried to record this episode was a mistake, because I have watched all of my favorite football movies since then, oh. and I'm here to tell you, I love Any Given Sunday. It's probably my number two movie now, okay. but my number one movie is not Remember the Titans, and I know that's yours, but my number one movie is Friday Night Lights. Ah. Uh. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I love Friday Night Lights. That's my number one football movie. My number two would be Any Given Sunday. My number three would definitely be Remember the Titans. And then there's just a bunch of them after that that I absolutely love. Unnecessary Roughness, The Program. If you've never seen The Program, you need to see that. And then, um, gosh, what else? That would be about it. That would be about it. So what's yours? Yeah, so uh, in the background at this exact moment, my wife just came home from being out of town, and my dog is losing his shit. So if you, it. so it's if all you, good. Well, it's probably up there on Audacity because it he yeah, was it could be could he be. was screaming his little head off, cute little furball, um, Tom, little Tom. Anyway, so yes, uh, remember the Titans is my my all-time favorite football movie. I've watched it quite a few times. Uh, most recently would have been A Date Night with My Wife. Actually, she was my girlfriend at the time, so it had been a little over a year ago, obviously. Actually, it had been way over She wasn't over the fiancé yet? No, because I still lived... We still lived at the townhome over at where I, oh, no where way. I work. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because I remember it was on our, our on our sectional leather couch. We were snuggling, um, and I finally figured you're, out you're... the peak peak cuddle position on that couch that night, uh, watching uh, 
watching uh yeah yeah remember the titans it's one of my it's one of my favorite movies i remember growing up and watching yep. it um and it being just incredibly emotionally powerful uh honestly a little bit traumatizing uh the car wreck where um yeah. gary gary gets uh schwacked by some by some drunk dude or well wait was it a drunk dude? Yeah, it was no. a drunk driver. Yeah, yeah. And or so no, he ends up dying because a drunk driver hits him later in yes, life. Yes, that's what it is. Yes. I, I knew that there was a drunk driver involved somewhere in there. Uh but it was just he was he was actually celebrating a win and got yep. and wasn't paying attention and got and ran through a red light or a stop sign or something. Anyway, so Remember the Titans, just an incredibly powerful movie. Uh, it's it's honestly still powerful to watch today because it just has a perfect uh, bridging of the racial tensions here in the United States um, where we started to break down those walls of segregation and um, just the mistreatment that um, we have we have as a country in our past. Um done to other races specifically in this movie it is it is highlighted uh again against uh african americans and it's an incredibly power you can you can watch it today and think that it was a, a movie made today um because of just all of the narratives that um we as a country um, are still struggling and intentioned with right now um, so watching it again is, is kind of a humbling reminder that, that we, uh, that we still have a few things that we got to uh, work out as a country on, on any side of the aisle, wherever you find yourself aligned with. Um, but it's also incredibly cool to see how far we have come because we have come very, very far as a country, um, yes, we have. and as a culture and it is it is it is crazy you watch it and you're like wow this was not too long ago uh, <laughs> there are people that are still alive and still vote today that were uh picketing and um and rioting against these things so um it's an incredibly powerful movie i would say right up there would be um also like facing the giants that's in it. That's a great movie. That's a good movie. I yeah. love if if you want to if you want to yes, that like probably another most powerful football movie moment is yeah, the the just one more yard, just one more yard, just one more yard. Keep pushing, keep pushing like it's an incredible movie. Regardless of where you find yourself on the uh theological spectrum, if you even have one, um it is still a great and powerful movie to watch. Um and then, yeah. Uh, when the game stands tall, have you ever seen When the Game Stands Tall? Uh, I've heard it. I don't know if I've watched it. Jim Caviezel is the coach. It's the team. It's based on a true story of a high school football team in Illinois that was like undefeated for years and years and years, and they finally lose a game. And it, it was. It's really, really good. Yeah, really then- good. And then I would say another one of my other honorable mentions is probably one of the most emotional football movies that I've ever watched. It has an incredible narrative that follows a very, very realistic and applicable thing that we can that we can look at in, in football uh, history. 
and that would be the longest yard with Adam Sandler. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> we we can uh, we you swerved me, you asshole. <laughs> I got you, bud. Um, yeah, that's uh, anytime it's on TV, I can't help but just so put funny. it up, put it up on the TV and watch it, um, and just have have just the good the greatest time. Um, yeah, and of course yeah. there's the water boy, um, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, H two O, yeah, Gatorade, H two O. Yeah. So anyway, oh, that's dude. Um, have you ever seen Gridiron Gang? Sorry, I was drinking some Lacroix. Um, yes, Lacroix. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a good movie. I too. have seen Gridiron Gang. That's a good movie too. That, that was one, the first time I realized I was like, oh, yeah, I think, the Rock I think we watched it together. Act. We might have. We might have. Yes. I, I went to a I went to a movie theater to see it when it was out. Uh and I remember just sitting there going, Oh we Rock watched isn't it just an actor. He can actually act a little. Yes. We watched it. To. We watched it in your truck. That was a that was a was over it? the that was an over the road movie. Yeah, because how I remember it is at least I think. Nope, just kidding. I couldn't say it with certainty. I feel like it was an actual DVD that we watched it on. Um, yeah, probably. And it was like I was flip. We were flipping through a book, a a, a yeah. big old book of DVDs, and um, that's probably and, at home. Yeah, it was something like that. I don't. Good I don't. Remember. It is a good movie. Such a good movie. I like football movies. They're good. Yep. Um, but yep. I still, I still haven't seen any given Sunday, so I need to actually. You gotta watch it. I gotta, you gotta watch it. I've gotta pick. I gotta go rent it or see if it's streaming on one of the million streaming services that exist. Um, and a few of them I have a subscription to, so I should probably get on that. But Lord knows, if I want to watch something that's like just want to watch something on a whim, it's never on a streaming service. It's always to be rented. So, um, well, I have the ability to make sure you can see at any given Sunday. So, so I've got uh, the DVD somewhere. Oh, okay. So. I thought I thought that you were like hinting at like I don't do illegal activities, but let's just say uh, hypothetical. Hypothetically speaking, I could maybe get you that movie. <laughs> no, I've got the DVD. It's oh, that makes that, that good. Makes We're sense. not going to do anything illegal here. <laughs> At least nothing that we would speak about, of course. Yeah, not not on purpose. Not that on can't purpose. Be edited. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we That's what my dad's for. He does all the editing. So, if it does get up on our podcast, then well. It's my dad's fault, so because yeah, I'm well, lazy and I don't edit things yet, I will find a way to do it someday, so that you don't have to do it all the time. Uh, it's all good. It's we'll all good. I don't mind. I don't mind at all. You know what, folks? That pretty much wraps up this episode. Yes, we sir. really appreciate you listening, and uh, make sure you tell your friends about us. My name is Ken. He's Scott. And uh, together we're the Generation Red Podcast, and we're here to remind you all that Iowa's corn sucks. Yes, it and does. there's no place like Nebraska. Go Big Red.
You can subscribe to our show on all the major platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. To help other fans find the show, please use your preferred podcast app to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Our website is genredpod.com, where you can listen to the show in your browser or use the provided links to subscribe. You can also follow us at GenRedPod on both Facebook and Twitter, and by searching for the Generation Red Podcast on YouTube. For all other questions, comments, or suggestions, please send them to genrpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Stay sweet and salty, and go Big Red!